Good evening, everyone. Let's get started. Good evening. Good evening, Jen. No, how you doing? All right. It's uh, it's Wednesday night. And we're all crossed out, obviously. Uh, coming to you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> coming to you uh, once again to uh, catch you up midweek on all the bullshit that's been going on, I guess. You know? Uh, yeah, we got a few things to talk about, I guess. Some of the politics and some of the not politics. I don't know if you want to talk about it. Um, I just, uh, I was in a crabby mood this morning. Not because I'm a particularly big fan of uh, of Peter Mayer. Is that how you pronounce his name? May- Mayer? Yeah, Mayer. It's not, mm-hmm. I always want to pronounce it Meyer because of the yeah. I, but it is Mayer. Yeah. It's me. It's pronounced Mjolnir. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, Peter Mjolnir. Uh, <laughs> like I said, like I'm not, it's not that I have some particular affinity for, for him, but, uh, I was, uh, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of irked that he lost his primary. He actually lost kind of a close primary to John Gibbs, who was the sort of MAGA candidate that was, uh, uh boosted by the Democrats, uh, because he would be easier to beat in the general. I, I find that like a dirty political tactic that I would have even like been kind of okay with if it weren't for this well-established narrative about how these people are like an existential threat to the country. And boosted is kind of putting it lightly. So what happens is the DCCC, who is the arm of the Democratic Party, who's in charge of promoting... Democratic candidates for House and Senate and and races like that spent $435,000 on an ad buy. Basically, the the ad, and and this is where people get things confused, so let me try to explain this. This was for not a general election, obviously, but this is for a Republican primary. And so they made this ad buy for Gibbs, portraying him as somebody who was very close to Trump and Trump did endorse him, but he's saying that he's very close to Trump policy wise. And so a lot of people were very confused over really like, well, how is this supposed to be helping him? This is, this is like an attack ad. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand who this ad is directed to. Again, this was not a general election. This was a GOP primary. And so this was aimed at Republican voters, basically, making the argument that Gibbs is the candidate that if you love Trump, then this is going to be your guy right here. And to be fair, the whole reason why Mayer was being primaried in the first place was because of his impeachment vote. He is one of the 10 Republicans who actually did vote yes on impeachment for President Trump, then President Trump, on the second go-round of impeachment hearings. So it was already a situation where that crowd did not like him in the first place. And then you you have the situation where he is being boosted by the Democrats. And to just, just to kind of drive the point home, because again, people talk about, oh, it's politics, it's this and that, it's whatever. $435,000 is more than Gibbs raised, period, in his whole campaign. They spent more on this ad buy than this dude raised, period. And the people who are acting innocently, like you said, like no, it was an attack ad. They're wasting their breath because the Democrats were asked about it and they said, fuck yeah, we're doing this. Like they're not, they're not even denying it. You know, I always, uh, like I said, I always think about uh, what they call the Zimmerman letter in World War One, where we, we basically intercepted some plan that Germany was kind of collude with Mexico 
and people got mad and then other people were like, nah, it's a hoax. And Germany were like, nah, it's actually real. <laughs> Where they could have been <laughs> like, yes, it is. But Germany was like, nah, you caught us. You caught us. And so, yeah, like they asked uh, they asked a bunch of like on the Sunday talk shows, they were like, why are you doing this? And they were like, it's going to it's going to be easier to win. That's why that, you know, they think because that's what they all thought about Trump. That's literally what they all thought about Trump. And, and here's the calculus that Democrats are making on this. Basically, the, the district was basically redrawn after mayor was elected. And in 2020, it did go plus eight for Biden. So, uh, but, but bear that in mind because there is a certain level of cynicism in this too. So the idea was that Gibbs would be an easier matchup than Mayer because Mayer is more of a centrist Republican and outside of the MAGA circles, he is generally a well-liked guy. And that's another reason why this particular race has generated so much controversy because this is not the only race that the DCCC has done this in, but this is the most high profile race. And again, because mayor is generally viewed as one of the good Republicans. Like I said, he did vote for impeachment. He is more of a centrist. He, he does have a higher profile and he is a generally well-liked guy. So it generated a lot of controversy in that you are basically promoting somebody and in Gibbs, we're not just talking about a Trump loyalist. We're talking about somebody who pushed election trutherism. We're talking somebody who pushed the big lie. We're talking somebody who generally believes that the 2020 election was somehow rigged and stolen from President Trump. This is the guy that we have been told is an existential threat to the American experiment. But you, the, the DCCC decided to go promote him because they felt that he would be an easier win. So here's the thing. And here's what pisses me off about this. And even beyond whether you want to sit here and be like, it's politics. No, no, no. You don't get to say that this movement, that Trump... That Trumpism, that MAGA is the threat to democracy. It is the biggest threat to America right now. And then go spend $435,000 on an ad buy promoting a guy who absolutely believes in the insane, the, the most batshit parts of Trumpism because you think that it'd be easier to beat him. No, you do not view this as a threat. You do not view this as a threat to the point that you think that you can easily take this guy out more easily than you could take out mayor. You don't view this as a threat. I'm sorry. Not, not to, not to mention that say he does, say he does lose the general. What do you think a person like that just ceases to exist the day after the election? You've already increased their profile. In this case, they're very like on a very national stage too. Why the fuck do you and I know the names of the primary, the people who ran in the primary in Michigan's third congressional district. Neither you and I live in Michigan. You know, it's like, I, I just, like, I'm, I'm way, anyway, the, the point is like, you're, you've already, with what you've done, you've already done good for this guy. You know, his, he has name recognition. He can go on to do bigger and better things than he could have if he was some uh, random nobody who gives a shit about him. And yeah, and Mayor lost a, a relatively tight race. So, you know, he lost by like 4,000 votes. I think he got like 50,000 and Gibbs got like 54,000. Now, I know that the district was redrawn. So it's it's a, kind of apples to oranges. I don't know enough about, again, Michigan politics, but he got like 200, over 200,000 votes in the general in 2020 in his victory. So again, 4,000 votes spread out over 200,000. Like that's a tight race. And so it's hard to say, cause there's a lot of people, again, on kind of like the, what I call career never Trumpism. Cause I think that there's lots of people who are like quote unquote, never Trumpy, but are not professional never Trumpers uh, who kind of, 
were very uh, uh, limp-wristed in their criticism of how Democrats acted because they said, you know, the important thing is that Republicans want to elect these people. And I said, that's an argument to make like in a landslide, in a very tight race where, again, the scales were heavily tipped financially by the opposing party. You know, it's a little hard to say like, well, see, the will of Republicans has been done. Which, I mean, is still a bullshit excuse because, I mean, if you genuinely believe that, then A, the DCCC had no business getting involved in it, and B, then they just wasted $435,000 of donor money promoting a total fucking MAGA nutter. Like, uh, that, that doesn't even make sense as an excuse for, like, trying to hand wave this. Like, either... Either this did affect the election or it didn't. And either way, it's not a good look. Yeah, there's it, there's des- there's clearly desperation. They're clearly pulling out all the stops because they feel that they're in, in, in a really dire position, which they are. I mean, they're not they're not wrong that they're heading towards an incredibly difficult uh, election cycle. And so, again, on, on the totally cynical, real, politique level, I totally understand that they're doing literally everything they can. But that could come back to bite you, you know, that you can't, you can't, it, this is like short-term gains, potentially. But if you, even if you win, but especially if you lose, and any one of these MAGA people, that make it into Congress because of this. You know, if Gibbs does, there's, you know, they think he won't, but who the fuck knows? Again, there's no, they're they're playing with fire. I keep thinking about that over, you know, that like 98% Hillary, a win certainty on election evening. Like I still remember that. I don't remember almost anything from that evening except that, except that, at, you know that that at the a point in the evening, people were still like, "This is we're walking away with this. We're mm-hmm. already cracking the champagnes, you idiots!" Like I'll that I'll I'll never forget that one moment. Like I said, like the rest of the evening is a total blur. I also got very drunk, but um, but yeah, that it, that thing is the thing that I, I, I that has stayed with me. And a reaction I've seen on Twitter, and I've not seen this from any of, like, the major blue check punditry, but I've seen this more from, like, YouTube, or not YouTube, but Twitter commentators, basically saying that, well, if Gibbs does win, then what is the difference a Republican is a Republican? And I'm like, if you genuinely see no difference between Gibbs and Mayer, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. You don't view this as a threat, then. You don't. I'm sorry. It's, this is bullshit. And it also, you know, it also, like, it ring, you know, it rings very hollow. I mean, I always say, I say this to a lot. I say this, like, the idea that uh, uh, people like that can can rely on, you know, the, being respectable to the other side. That lasts only as long and as much as is needed strategically, right? Because Kinzinger... And Liz Cheney and people like Mayor can be, I'm not comparing them, but never mind. I'm just saying like people like that could be like the heroes of the, of the left and they can be toasted at uh, dinner parties for voting for impeachment and risking their own careers. But like when push comes to shove, they will literally push and shove them down the stairs and in front of an actual literal bus if yeah. it can put someone with a D in front of their name in their place. Like they will dump his seat off a literal cliff. You know, I'm just thinking of him like sitting in the seat. And so he comes and just like dumps it over the Grand Canyon. Like Bill de Blasio dropping a groundhog. (laughs) And and that's also what's irritating about this is like, okay, again, if you view this whole Trumpism, the election denial thing, if you view all this as an existential threat. And you sat there and you wanted to ask, why didn't more Republicans vote to impeach Trump? Because it's so obvious that he needs to be impeached. And then you fuck over one of the Republicans that actually did it. Again, that if you do not see a difference between Gibbs and Mayer, 
if you do not see a difference between a guy that believes the election was stolen and a guy that voted for impeachment, then fuck you. No, I'm sorry. You don't. You do not believe in anything that you fucking asked for. The Yes, the, the quickest way to radicalize somebody is to claim that there is no difference between the moderates and the radicals on their side, right? That's a really quick path to radicalization because what happens is you say, okay, so everybody's a traitor, right? Mayor is a traitor and, you know, if someone... So I'm going to go pick the most aggressive, the person who is like the most aggressive and the most, you know, like uh, cutthroat about getting the policies that I want in place, which is generally speaking, the people on both extremes of it, you know, like the kind of burn it down for what we need, what we want kind of people. And so, yeah, you drive people away from the centrists by saying that they're the same as the extremists. That's by the way, if you want to, if you want a weird analogy, I I think that the only reason that uh, pot was a gateway drug for many years was because it was an illegal drug. And if you were getting, if you were buying pot, you were buying it from a drug dealer who had other kinds of drugs and giving you access to other kinds of drugs. If it were legal, if you could get it at a bodega, you'd have no reason to know a drug dealer if all you did was smoke pot. It would make the jump from pot to like cocaine or something like that much bigger than if they're both, you know, felony, felony class drugs that you can only go buy from a criminal. Right. And so like in the same way, like if, you know, if if Mayer and Gibbs are exactly the same, then the the hop from one to the other isn't a big hop in your mind. You're just like, yeah, this guy is just a little more like aggressive, but they're, you know, the Democrats are going to accuse me of being a fascist anyway. And, and this also goes to something that, I mean, I'm certainly not the first person to ever point this out, but for everybody that makes this argument that Trump and his whole movement is this massive threat. No, you, you're proving this proves that you do not want this threat to go away. You need it. You are actively promoting it because you think you can run better against it, which does nobody remember 2016? Yeah. Does nobody remember how Trump happened in the first place? It's uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, there. Uh, there is no. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I can't fathom. It's it is this. It's the idea that they they think this will eke out. It's like saber metrics. You know, they they say like there's a you know sixteen percent chance that this will give us a leg up, and so it's worth it. You know, like they're it's almost like they're they're trying to they're trying to squeeze any kind of benefit, and they say like give us anything that we can do, even something that'll maybe marginally increase our chances. Um, and yeah, it would have been so much better for them if these MAGA candidates all got over the line organically and that Trump could have just run his own little party that had nothing to do with them, they would have benefited from that. And even there have been some, I I believe like House Democrats, I don't think anybody in the Senate's come out and said it, but they've come out and been like, you're, we're crafting a message here going into the midterms and you guys are kind of torching it by promoting a MAGA candidate, like you're you're making our jobs more difficult because now we're going to have to answer for you and this bullshit. When we, we we crafted this whole idea, this whole message, this whole narrative that you need to vote for Democrats because these people are the absolute worst. And so now you have to answer for the fact like, OK, well, then why did your campaigning arm spend all this money promoting one of these candidates? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I don't know. I, I have no idea if may, may, if mayor would just like run as an independent. But if he did, that would be a great angle of attack on the Democrat in the race to say, like, you guys, the reason I'm running is because you guys put this guy up, up over me. Right. 
that would be not a bad uh, campaigning tactic. I think we can. Uh, I think we can uh, move on to some other non-political things because we're just we're just annoyed. There isn't much more to say about this other than it's really annoying. It's really annoying, and like and and you you expect. I always say that I think the reason that I'm generally more critical of liberals is that deep down I feel like if 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 they were like actually better I would feel way more comfortable being a liberal than being a conservative. I'm not religious, I'm definitely not Christian. And so um and so I feel uh I feel detached from a lot of conservative people, you know, people just in in on those terms. I come from like a secular world. I'm an art, you know, I studied art and music and shit like that. Like I'm all my life I hung in liberal circles, right? It would be very quote unquote easy for me to be a liberal, but like they just make it so fucking hard all the time. As someone who likes Mayor, this and obviously Mayor got the seat that Justin Abosh vacated when he did not run. So we libertarians feel a certain way about this particular seat, but mayor was, whether you agreed with him or not, was somebody who actually did take the time to explain his votes. He explained himself. He went on Twitter. I mean, he would go on podcasts. uh, This is somebody who was actually kind of one of the good guys. And yeah, actually, Mayor follows me on Twitter too. <laughs> but yeah, he was, he was actually one of the few, especially freshman House representatives who really took the job seriously from a policy perspective, not just there to tweet and self aggrandize and build his own platform and brand, because let's face it, his last name is um, not a coincidence. Yes, he is of that family. So it's not exactly like he needed this job, but he took it because he felt strongly about trying to make a difference from a policy perspective in Congress. So it sucks to lose somebody that took the job seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, anyway, we're uh, we're going to we're going to mosey on along to uh, I think uh I think we can talk about the Demi Lovato story. I've been, it's funny because I, I, I keep like, I, she's the one where I'm always like, I'm always talking about Demi Lovato's fucking pronouns. Like I got to go look at my old tweets and yeah, like I've been on this train for like well over a year <laughs> because there have been many, uh, there have been many like news cycles about Demi Lovato's fucking pronouns. And I there I have a wider point that I want to make about this because I, unlike, again, unlike a lot of my following. Yeah, May 19th, 2021, over a year ago when I was the first time that all this started. Anyway, uh, I'm like, I'm way more cool with like pronouns and with people's gender identity. I'm way more like... Uh, like accepting of that stuff. And, uh, but like, I need, like, I need people who have like a more complex sort of nuanced opinion on it because in some areas of it, I feel more strongly than others and you know, whatever. Uh, and one thing that really bugs me that isn't discussed is, uh, the idea that it is very popular among people who are attention seekers to get into this whole like identity, I called it hyper specific identity disorder, right? And so it's people who are like, I have bird pronouns, you know, on TikTok and all kinds of stuff like that. I was watching, uh, I, I said on Twitter recently that I've been watching more like uh, woke, lefty, lefty media critics on YouTube just because, because heterodox. Yeah, I don't know. Because I, they get recommended to me, and I'm like, "Well, I want to watch this." And I watched something from I, I, I think a, a trans creator. I, um, apologies if I'm miss, miss, yeah, you know, I like, believe, mi- yeah, I, that's the video you sent me, right? Yes. Yeah, I believe she is trans. She describes herself as bi, but then in her uh, YouTube about, she has a whole thing about what she counts as bi and what she counts as transsexual. Anyway, whatever. Um about uh, how like uh, good LGBT representation in media is really boring. 
And I was like, oh, that's an interesting title. And it was like, yeah, I was a video by, you know, by someone who has the opinion that will annoy you if you see it on Twitter. Like, we need more movies with trans stars and we need more things to explore the trans identity. You know, things that if you read like a, just a tweet about, you'd be like, oh, this is annoying, whatever. But this person went into like great detail about why the attempts to do that kind of suck. And that in the end, most people like Orange is the New Black, which is like a super imperfect trans character or something like that. Whereas like the ones that are the good shows are just like so boring. You want to just fucking die. And yeah, I, I watched that video and she does make some really good points. And I, I actually started thinking about she brought up from Star Trek, the new generation, Jax, and comparing it to one of the characters from Star Trek Discovery. Anyway, it's deep space now. It's deep space. You're gonna get angry. Uh, You're gonna get angry tweets. Actually, it's Dax was on Deep Space. Yes, Dax was on Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. I know. I really didn't even watch Deep Space Nine. Well, that's why. That's how I know she was on Deep Space Nine. I didn't watch it either. I watched the Next Generation. Anyway, um, I'm I'm a Next Generation girl. (laughs) Um. Anyway, that was a weird. Anyway, Demi Lovato. So, so I, just a, a, a perfect example of what I'm describing here of someone who clearly just wants like, a, like attention. I said, like, you know, like my, the term I invented with, for it was FOMO sexual, but like now I have a description for it. It's people who are attracted to attention. <laughs> and that's, which, yes. I was say a better, which actually is a better descriptor because associating gender identity with sexuality is something that really we need to go back and separate that back out again but basically so if you guys missed it Demi Lovato like you said about a year ago came out as non-binary switched to they them pronouns and now recently she's decided that she is going to re-adopt back in the she her pronouns but also keep the they them pronouns but also still identify as non-binary, which I'm not sure how exactly one identifies as non-binary while still keeping binary pronouns, gendered pronouns, because that is the binary. So yeah. And it was, there was a whole like uh, cycle because someone was saying like, it's very important to make this distinction. She didn't switch back. She merely appended other. That's why the, <laughs> that's why the description of this episode says, you know, Demi Lovato is going to keep adding pronouns until somebody notices. The pronouns will continue until behavior improves. But uh, but yeah, and, and it and it really is like, and that's why I also called it hyper hyper specific identity disorder. It's this idea that like I don't think that there is value in us taking this much time and effort to like understand every single person's weird. Because that's what individualism has now become. Individualism has become two things. It's it's become your uh, very uh, uniquely tailored set of pronouns and identities and what fucking accessories your ape NFT has. That's what individuality now is. But it literally isn't individuality. It's signaling... (laughs) It's signaling kind of that you are part of a certain group. And it doesn't... Your pronouns don't tell anybody anything about you. Like knowing that I use she, her pronouns or that you use he, him pronouns, it doesn't tell me anything about Noam Bloom. It doesn't tell me, I I mean, it doesn't even tell me anything about like your sexual orientation. Like it, it literally tells me nothing about you, but it's become this signifier for people who either can't or won't develop an identity outside of signaling or basically like latching on to this identity that other people have created. And for what it's worth, I do see this pointed out sometimes, especially by a, a lot of older like LGBTQ people, a lot of older trans people, that these are people that are stepping into their space and claiming these titles without ever having to actually go through any of the the hardship and the struggle of what it was to have these titles 
before it was considered acceptable to have them. Like you, if if you just decided like yesterday that you're going to be non-binary and you're going to have they them pronouns, you you did not experience any of the shit that used to come along with that. Like you're coming along at the end of this when it's okay. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, but that's, I think why you're getting the more hyper specificity because I do think that, uh, Gen Z, one thing that Gen Z feels very, uh, uh, uh like uh, insecure about is the fact that the, the two generations that came before them, you know, essentially like millennials and Gen X did all of the things The first black this and the first gay that, like all of that groundbreaking shit or not all of it because some of it came even before that. But like, you know, like a lot of the things that they would have loved to claim, like the first this identity to do this, that's all claimed already. It's all it all happened and they feel left out. And so that's why you always hear like first BIPOC Latinx uh, two spirited Eskimo did a thing, right? That's why they're, it's because they want to, they want to be ground. They want to be socio-politically groundbreaking when in fact, it's more incumbent on them to just, to just, to be the generation that just does it, does the thing that the groundbreaking happened for, right? But instead they want to be the trailblazers. And it's like, no, don't. Just, it's fine to stand on the shoulders of giants. You don't got to be a giant yourself all the time. There's a lot of good that can be done standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think, yeah, I think that this generation would much rather be the giant that holds something on their shoulders. And so they got to invent new things to be like the first to accomplish. And I've made this argument on Twitter before many, many years ago that the reason why we have so much of this basically petty bullshit is because all of the big fights have already been won. Like everything, uh, anything that was left over after Gen X, the elder millennials basically took care of it. So now there's nothing, there's no great battles to fight. And then when you're young, you have that impulse that you want to go fight the big battles and you want to be part of something that's very big and transformative. And world changing, you, 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 you I, I always think about the song, I was a teenage anarchist, because it really is just like, like a great sarcastic song, but it really is a fun song too. But I, I, I do think there is that part of being young and like you want to be part of something like bigger than yourself and part of some grand battle. And of course, I, thankfully, we don't have like world wars for people to go fight off in anymore to go like satisfy that. And as far as the great cultural battles, like I said, Gen X pretty much took care of most of it. And then anything that was like elder millennials basically batted cleanup on everything. So a lot of the stuff that's being relitigated now is stuff that I look at. I'm like, I thought we settled this back in the 90s. Like, I thought we settled the trans thing back in the 90s. I thought we settled the sexuality thing back in the 90s. Like, we, we already did all of this. All these things that you're trying to do, we did them already. You're just trying to do them again in this very, like, minute, petty way so that you can feel like you participated in the battle. Yes, and I think that there's this obsessive need for to validate and to be validated that creates this scenario where nobody uh, cares if people are doing this because it's trendy and not because it's actually what they feel and what they are. Um, and I think that's going to come crashing down at some point. I mean, to, to a certain extent, I think it's it, the cracks are already forming, but only because there keeps, to, you know, I felt like I hate the cliche of like, you know, you give them a finger and they want the whole hand, but there it things keep being pushed and pushed. Yeah. Like for example, this, like this bizarre insistence that like, that biology isn't, you know, like biological dimorphism is a is a myth, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, where people start going like, look, I'm totally fine with like accepting you, and what do you want, but like, please don't, please don't do that. Can we please yeah. not do that? Can I please not? And but no, but then you're transphobic or whatever. I want to take a let's take a, let's take a Neil's call because he's on the line. Okay. Hold on. As I said before on Colin, I slowly reach for the button because people aren't prepared. And so they're like scrambling shit. They're going to take my call. Neil, you're on the air. 
Yo, hey. Okay, so I just wanted to note that for the pronouns thing, it was really interesting because earlier today I, I signed up for TwitchCon and they asked for my pronouns, of course, required uh, to fill in. And the options were he, him, she, her, they, them, other, and then prefer not to select, which I'd never seen that before. And I thought that was really interesting because oh. you could take it as like, that's that's what I chose, right? Because I kind of reject the whole thing. And But then you could also, maybe they're putting that there for people who don't know their pronouns or whatever, and that's what they would pick. But I, I just never seen the option before. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, and uh, another thing uh, with TwitchCon was uh, that you mentioned that um, they're taking a lot of crap for not in, not having a, having neither a vaccine mandate nor a mask mandate. They encourage masks. Uh, or and, a testing uh, requirement. Yeah, and GDC, I saw this too about GDC. GDC is accepting no... Uh, remote speakers this year, the Game Developers Conference, which is a big thing. And yeah, people were mad. Gene Park, who uh, sadly discovered that he has cancer, uh, he won't be able to, to go because of that. But he, again, he, unlike the people who are yelling at TwitchCon on Twitter, is actually like, he actually falls within the classic definition of being immunocompromised, not the extended COVID edition immunocompromised, right? Um, And yeah, maybe he is, maybe he does have a point that like what COVID did was show the world that we need, generally speaking, to be a little more accommodating to people who are immunocompromised, such as allow people to do remotes, for example, at GDC. There is a point to be made about that, but again, it's drowned out by like the hysterical screeching. Like you never hear somebody just make a randomly like sane version of that argument. Well, there's a couple things about that, right? Because the thing with being that immunocompromised when you're like undergoing that kind of treatment is that even if they had like a testing requirement and a vaccine requirement and a mask requirement, would you still want to go? It's like such a crowd. I mean, it's still a huge risk, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And right. Then, and yeah, so, you yeah. still should not go, which is why I don't know why they're not allowing like remote. Like, that was one of the things that like I thought maybe even post-COVID they can keep around just because it makes it easier for both people that can't necessarily attend a con and people that can't necessarily travel to one. Right. I think the thought, yeah, I think the thought process in many of these things, TwitchCon as well, or whatever, is there's this kind of swing hard back. I think a lot of these, uh, these things were hit pretty hard by having to do everything remote and they're just like, we're done, enough, enough. We're done with it. You know, instead of like, Instead of pulling back 90%, they're just like, duh, we're so done. And and I mean, me as an individual, like cool, but I also don't run like, a, you know, an industry convention. And so I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, you know, follow those considerations. Like, for example, like I'm going to be very circumspect because I don't want to be very specific, but like uh, uh, in, in some professional environment that I was in, there was some kind of a requirement uh, at some point came down to like uh, uh, to like include more women in things that that were were going down. It's like certain events that were happening because there was like a dearth of women. And, you know, like you hear again, you hear that on Twitter. You're like, ugh. but then in that environment, when that happened, we were like, yes, this makes perfect sense. This makes perfect sense because these things look bad. And there's plenty of women we can ask. There isn't like there is no reason that we're not, and it does look shitty that there, you know, that there aren't enough for whatever, and like, and the ones we do have are always awesome, and like that that fucking happens, and so yeah, out in the real world, depending on what considerations you got to face, something that you read online and like bugs you as just a personal individual might strike you in a different light, you know. I mean, possibly. And, and like I said, I am, I kind of, I, I don't really understand completely banning remote from cons because like I said, like sometimes you just, you can't like, it just, it is what it is. And like, especially in Gene's circumstance, like he can't travel, he has cancer. Like, okay. Yeah. You, you are gating it somewhat like, and you're still, especially since, you know, uh, the world is small now. And I do think that it is funny that all of these tech companies are like, propping up this all of this like meta all of that shit but then they're like no you can't zoom into gdc right but then what if somebody's like in a different country and and yes you know still with covid with travel is a little more difficult than it was with usual you're right that decision sounded weird to me maybe they could have gone with like 
we're not going to let everybody who wants to do remote do remote. You know, maybe there could be some kind of process where, yeah, if somebody has cancer, then they'll say, like, we're not going to prevent you from doing it. Um, But but not just like let anybody who wants to check a box that says I'm going to do it via Zoom, because that's that is also a little bullshit. That is also a little bit people exploiting a convenience Um, because I hate Zoom. I hate doing uh, life and work things on Zoom. And some people don't. Some people fucking would never would rather never see real people ever again. I I don't like doing Zoom just because my backdrop sucks and I would never want anybody to see this. It's fine for you to see it, but nobody yes. else. I mean, I had to do a whole thing because I was on a video podcast recently. I was on uh, Sacred Symbols Plus and it's a, it's a video thing. So I had to like carefully move. I, you had to see, I felt so lame, like adjust slightly because I don't have a really good angle here to, to capture it. And so I had to be very like, very specific about where I sat and where I put my camera. It was very lame. Um, but uh, yeah, um, so there is there is some kind of middle ground. Um, I, I wonder if TwitchCon is going to fold on the on the COVID protocols thing. I really hope they don't. I hope they stay. They stay I hope I, enough people like buy tickets that then they, they won't have to. Uh, you know what? I do think that ultimately that that is what will happen. The, pr- the problem is because these communities are so on- vocally online, you might get like a mistaken impression of like how big the problem was. Mm-hmm. It's like the airline thing. Like We were talking about this on on uh, on the pod where all these surveys are like people will say like, oh, sure, sure. Masking restrictions, masking restrictions. But then you go on the thing. Nobody's fucking wearing a mask on the plane. Where are all these people who wanted masking on planes, right? It's almost like people who feel like they wish there were masking on planes because they just want somebody to tell them what to do and then they'll just do it. But if nobody's there to force them, they won't. You know, it's like I need a babysitter. I won't wear my mask unless somebody tells me I have to. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, and Neil, you can stick around being a DC geek because, uh, because we're going to, I think we're going to talk about, uh, uh, Zaslav torching HBO and DC to the ground. Just an amazing story because Warner brothers, you know, there's like this discovery Warner brothers merger and they brought in a new guy to run Warner's Zaslav, whatever. He sounds like a, he sounds like an Eastern European <laughs> a guy would commit genocide in Eastern Europe, but he's just committing genocide in like the DC universe. <laughs> Nobody is safe. No universe is safe. Yeah, David Zaslav. Now, now again, I don't. I got nothing against the guy for real. He's that's probably what literally what he was brought in to do. There's hatchet men. You know, there's people who are like brought in who to mercilessly cut things who have no emotional attachment to anything and say on a very cold level, these are the numbers. And I know you feel attached to Batgirl and I spent $90 million, but it's better for us to write it off on our taxes than release the movie. Which is literally their stance at this point. So it it came out that that the Batgirl movie is already in the can. It's done. They spent $90 million on this and they're not releasing it. Not only are they not doing a theatrical release, but they're not even releasing it on HBO Max. So basically, this thing has just been shelved. Yeah. And again, it might, yeah, a it might dollar it, movie. It might one day be pulled out it, because uh, it, the the story is because again, it ultimately was a tax thing. But if the thing was anybody, if anybody was actually optimistic about this thing being very good for them, they wouldn't have axed it. It would have been on their balance sheet. It would have been worth more than a tax write-off, right? Mm -hmm. And so clearly it is related to its quality. It's not that Zaslav was like, it's starring a Latinx woman. You better shelve it, right? Otherwise it wouldn't have gotten made in the first place. Fucking Michael Keaton is in this as Batman. Like that's not... Yeah, yeah. Make make that make sense, but what, I mean, what I, like that's crazy. That's crazy. From, they put yeah, they, yeah, from, like yeah. From what I understand, 
this is supposed to tie into the Flash movie, which again, we've discussed the issue yeah. with the Flash movie and, and we certainly the existence of that and when and if that will ever see the light of day as currently comprised. And there's still the whole Ezra Miller situation. I still have my doubts as to in what form we are actually ever going to see a Flash movie, but apparently in there we're supposed to have an explanation for why we have a 70-year-old Batman, which I would love to hear an explanation for that. Well, but, yeah, I mean, it, I, it could be, because could, he could be playing, because in the Flash movie, there's a chance that he's going to be playing Thomas Wayne and not Bruce Wayne. There's a, because in the Flashpoint Paradox, which is the comic book story that this movie is going to be kind of based on, the Flash enters a universe in which Bruce Wayne was the one who got killed in the alleyway, and then his yeah. father Thomas became a Batman who's like a like a, a like a murderous Batman, and Martha yeah. Wayne went crazy and became the Joker. And oh, so it's kind of an amazing it's kind of an amazing spin on the on the Batman canon, and yeah, and so I I thought that like a, 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 a an interesting way to to bring in a Batman that old was to do that or the Batman beyond story in which Bruce Wayne is an old man. But, um, yeah. uh, but that was just, and now they're, it, I mean, they're just axing everything. There's tomorrow. Warner's is going to do their quarterly earnings report. There's rumors that they're going to like s- discontinue HBO max entirely and just roll HBO content into discovery. Plus it's crazy. It's like the number one, in opinion yeah, polls, makes- the number one streaming platform, people are like, they love it the most. It's the, if I do a poll on Twitter, if you could do one streaming service, which would you have? HBO Max wins easily. And the branding is so much stronger for HBO Max than it is for Discovery Plus. Like, everybody, like, you know what you're getting when you sign up for HBO Max. Like, it's obviously, if you sign up for HBO Max, you probably also already signed up for HBO. So you kind of understand what it is that you're paying for. You, are you going to, like, sign up for Discovery Plus? Like, what the fuck is Discovery Plus? I'm not trying to watch, like, Ancient Aliens. Like, what the fuck? What am I paying for this? Yeah. It's, so it's it, it's very strange. I, it, this is just a rumor, the thing about the HBO Max. But then now I just read a rumor that they're they're going to delay... Uh, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and Aquaman 2. Aquaman 2 has the Amber Heard problem. Shazam doesn't have any problem, except that maybe it's tied into Black Adam, yeah. but I don't know. Like, they're in. The, it's just the like. The DC Extended Universe is just like crashing and burning right you, now. You know what? When, you know what? When you put it this way, like when you lay it out like this, as we have just done, how much longer could this have lasted? How much longer could because because they keep they keep fucking up. They keep having problems and they had the problems with the Zack Snyder and they had all of these other pro- whatever. How much longer can stuff like this continue until the parent company's got to bring in somebody who fucking throws shit wholesale throws shit in the garbage? Like that's what are you going to do? You know, Mar- Marvel, you know, Ike Perlmutter, who was like an albatross on Marvel until Kevin Feige essentially like pushed him out and became like the grand poobah. The reason that he was the guy who called the shots at Marvel is when Marvel was about to go bankrupt, he was the guy that saved them. And one of the things he did was he sold off a bunch of assets. Like he, he was the one who sold Spider-Man to Sony. He was going to sell the entire catalog to Sony for like $50 million and they were like, we'll take Spider-Man for 25 or something like that. And then he sold the X-Men to Fox. Mm-hmm. They were selling the furniture. at the, That was how badly they were doing. And now look at them. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, and yeah, they had to go through that. And so, yeah, they some guy came in who was like, we're, I'm gonna, you know, I have no love for any of this stuff. And so what needs to be gotten rid of will be gotten rid of. And uh, and so I uh, like I said I don't blame Zaslav at all. That is pro- he's probably doing exactly what he was hired to do. And, and the weird thing about the Batgirl movie is, I mean, obviously we've not seen anything from it, but from the stills I've seen, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm like, it looks very like Joel Schumacher mid '90s Batman, and I'm like, what is this? Who is this for? Where are we going with this? Like, and they. What? Even aesthetically, like, where, what is this? And supposedly they, like, they wanted it to be a high-quality, like, HBO Max movie. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Meaning like not, it's not good enough to be in the theater, but it is exceedingly good for something that's only on streaming. But like, we watched The Gray Man, right? Yeah. Love it or hate it, that's a movie that is like theater, a theater quality movie. Meaning like I would not be, I've seen movies less impressive than that have theatrical runs. But put it this way, like action movies that aren't as impressive as that, they don't have a cast as good as that, and they don't have as large scale action as that, get theatrical runs. And so that that's what I mean when I say that. Um this clearly, you know, by all accounts, oops, by all accounts was not that at all. This was like the Rob Zombie fucking monsters thing. But which this just looks like a joke. I, I can see this turning into like, like how, how we did release the Snyder Cut. It's going to be like release the Batgirl movie because we all want to see how bad it is. It's so what I think it, there's a which is a, like the opposite of the Snyder. A lot of people think it's going to leak somehow. You know, either by like people who work because 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 the sad thing is a lot of people put a lot of work into this. And let me tell you, I've had cries. I've gone home and cried because, you know, like two days of work that I did, hard work that I did, you know, amounted to nothing or like got scrapped at the last minute or whatever. Like and the frustration of that drove me to tears People worked for fucking months and months on this, right? Gave poor poured their hearts out into this, and it's just going in a vault. There was an article recently about how doing VFX for Marvel is torture because mm-hmm. of that, because they keep throwing things at you. Nobody knows what they want. They change things at the last minute, and then, and then everybody says this looks it, it like shit. Yeah. Or or gets cut or everyone in the audience say this looks like crap. Like the the, the one scene that I keep uh, talking about is in Shang-Chi. At the end of Shang-Chi, one of the things that's going on is that he is having a fight with his father, Wen Wu, right outside of that big door that's made out of scales. And that looks – it looks rough. It looks very blue screeny and whatever. And the tragedy of that, it was shot apparently like on a big – set with like tree like broken down trees and stuff and then at the last minute they were like no we got to change it so go roto manually remove all of these fucking trees from all of this fight and then like redo the background in like a different coloring and stuff and say yeah no duh it looks like crap but it's like not anybody's fault it's like the studio's fault yeah, I mean, you only have so much time to do something, and so you got to. I mean, if you want to get it in on time, you got to make compromises. I'm just that's that's the job. Like that is what it is. But I, mean, I actually thought I thought the movie actually looked pretty good. But anywho, um, do we do we want to move on? Do we want to talk about Dane Cook? Do we? Yeah, there isn't that much to say about Dane Cook. I guess I th- I just thought it was I just thought it was weird that. Uh, it, it's, it's be, like, because who, because like, who can the thing is, the thing I, I was surprised about was the who cares aspect because Dane Cook, who's 50 is marrying his girlfriend, who's 23. Um, and they started dating what, five years ago? <laughs> yes. Five years ago. So y'all can do the math. Which <laughs> is very, which very is very people. amusing. Yes. But that is very amusing. Um, oh, you know what? We actually let's uh, let's go to another caller. Okay. Once I once I actually managed to get back into the room, there we go. Uh, we are going to take Jenny's call. Uh, oop, there we go. Hey, Jenny, how's it going? Good. How's it going with you guys? All right. I immediately thought this morning with this Batgirl thing that it was a marketing thing, and that they were just doing it to up the visibility, and that they'll release it. But that was just my gut feeling. Um, I I mean we you'd think, but like the you, the damage seems to already have been done. Like everybody's uh everybody's very mad. No, but now as we're even talking, like I keep seeing stories of like this show is going by by that show's going by by um, because none of this is official. I think I think it's only all going to be official tomorrow. 
but you can't keep stuff like this under wraps. Every show that gets canceled, the entire cast and crew now know. They're not going to find yeah. out on Twitter, even though that has also happened before, I believe, where people involved in in in, in like a show or something that found out that it was being canceled through social media, which is really that really sucks you know that happened on a show what like a big show and i can't remember which one it was but like everybody found out on twitter and it was just like oh my god that's so yeah. horrible and even if you're a bit you know even if you're a big actor who you know can easily lose a gig and it's not the end of the world most people who work on those shows aren't the grips and the assistants and all that stuff well There's you know, all because mm-hmm. of the day the way the day has played out uh, everybody's going to want to see it, you know, when it, when and if it comes out. So I, I just think there might be some brilliant marketing going on here. But what do I know? Oh, I mean, I mean, there's the potential because I thought like, yeah, sit on it for a little and then do. But the, the thing is, like, I have I don't trust Warner Brothers to have the ability to be like, OK, we're going to release this goofy thing now as a goof. I don't know. I like again, I think it'll become a commodity. I'm personally obsessed with movies like this completed or nearly completed movies that uh, were never released. Um, the probably the most famous one in like geekdom is uh, Roger Corman's fantastic four movie. It's a fantastic four movie in, from 1994 something like that. It's actually pretty good. It's kind of campy and like kind of low budget, but it was made literally so that they could retain the rights and so they made the movie so they could retain the rights and they just never released it. Like they just spent a million dollars or whatever to just retain the rights on it. Um, so many of those underground cult classics have been movies that just totally flopped in the beginning. Everybody hated it. And then something just revives them. So maybe that will be how it plays out. I, I want to see it. Even if it's bad, right? Even if it's bad, like, like I said, you're right. Like I said, a movie too bad, to, a movie that's too bad to be released is actually paradoxically good enough to be released just for because it was too bad to be released, right? Yeah. You're like, I got to see this now. Absolutely. <laughs> and, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and because we now have HBO Max, I mean, they could just throw it up on there. You don't have to worry about like distribution budgets or PR budgets or promo or anything like that. You could just literally throw it up on HBO Max and be like, here you go. Apparently there is, there are costs involved. I didn't think about this because people said like, what, how could you, how could, it's yours, right? It's a thing that you made. How could it be a tax write-off? But no, there's like royalties. Like I'm sure there's all kinds of things, like especially on the royalty level, but but not only. There has to be some kind of, I don't know, music rights. I don't know what needle drops. Like even on the production level, like you just write off the production costs. Yeah, because the, the way they write uh, movie losses like that. But yeah, like I said, but if, yeah, if the show has needle drops and they got to pay for the, the – imagine like – imagine Netflix – if uh, Stranger Things was like a total failure and now like <laughs> these songs are like super, <laughs> you know, the, these songs that are now super popular, no one, you know, no one would have heard of. It's like a, it works in reverse, like instead of being in the can for like having to use a lot of money to get a Kate Bush song, they fucking all of a sudden Kate Bush woke up one morning doubly rich you know i was like oh shit i'm rich again i'm rich again <laughs> i'm back on the charts yes so i mean i, I think this, yeah. is the first time, this is the first time i listened to you guys and i came into the show a half hour after you started did you talk about last night's election at all because i thought we, this was going to be more of a political yeah. show we did actually top. we yeah. spent yeah we spent half half the show talking about that you can okay. actually go like VOD and so our usually we, there is no method to this madness, right? We typically like, but like on the, we have a podcast that comes out on Mondays, ambitious crossover attempt. And uh, usually we go more into more like po- stuff like politics and sudden mm-hmm. here we kind of do sometimes lighter culturally things. But yeah, like if an election happens, we'll talk about it. And if, if, if news of the day, we try to not, a thing we, we would rather avoid on this is anything that's hyper depressing. Like we didn't really talk about like the school shootings here or stuff like it's just too sad. And I, I feel like people listening and chatting and calling, it's not exactly the, the kind of topics that are conducive to this environment. I already think those those events get way too much coverage as it is. 
it this is kind of our style too. It inspires copycats, I think. So. Yeah, well, you know, it's the cliche point at this uh, at this point to make, but uh, you know, they won't they won't show you a streaker at a football game because they're like, oh, if we show a streaker on TV, a lot of people are going to go streaking. But then, but they'll. Sh- but they'll show like a mass shooter's face and, and, and the results of their actions on TV. No problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to tell you, I was thrilled with last night. I'm a big time Trump supporter, MAGA all the way. And I just feel like it's it's definitely a sign of the red tsunami that's engulfing our society right now. And I, I couldn't be happier. Oh, there you go. Well, you see, there's some people some people uh, are very pleased with uh, with the results. I'm from um, Michigan, so I've really watched Michigan politics a lot. Oh, and, you, um, I, you know, it was just awesome to watch that Meyer tool go down. And uh, you might want to skip the first half of the show then. <laughs> <laughs> Am I pushing some buttons? We know. You know what? Uh, I, I'm. We're. You know, we're not. We're not. Uh, we're not the the show that's going to be like tying up right now. I'm outraged. <laughs> Well, I love talking to people who I, you know, on opposite sides of the fence with, but, um, you know, as a longtime Trump supporter, I just, I just felt it was a, a good shot across the bow to say, look, this, this is not over. All right. There you go. Cool. All right. Awesome. Thank you for calling. And I think, yeah, yeah we're, my call. yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think we're, oh, okay, cool. And I think we're uh, we're we're pretty much uh, we're pretty much done, right? It's uh, yep, looking at the clock. Right. I was looking at the clock, and so it's nine thirty. And so we can uh, we can kind of bring uh, bring the show to a close. Um, what is what more is there to say? Nothing except uh, tune in uh, once again on uh, Monday for ambitious crossover attempt. Jen, how about you do some plugs? Okay, so obviously you've already found this here on Colin Wednesday nights, 8.30. Um, you can also listen to this afterwards on the Colin app or through podcast catchers. Our main podcast, Ambitious Crossover Attempt, comes out on Mondays. You can find that on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Flash Audible, all your podcast catchers. You can find us on Twitter at AMBXOver. You can find me on Twitter at ThatJenMonroe and on Substack at JenMonroe.substack.com. Yay, I'm Neon Taster on Twitter. And also YouTube.com slash C slash Neontaster and Twitch.tv slash Neontaster. Uh, thank you for listening. Yada, yada. Talk to you Monday. Thank you, Jen. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks. Good night, everybody.